Welcome to episode 61 of the Winning Six podcast, official podcast at BehindTheBookPass.com. I'm your host, Sites Editor-in-Chief, Adam McGee, and joining me this week, as per usual, is the one, the only, Jordan Tresky. Hello. He's got better at responding to his intro. We used to, historically, we've had this long pause where i'll leave space for my guests to sort of introduce themselves to join in and it just hangs but jordan has improved and maybe that has something to do with the fact that we are now one year old it's officially we're a few days off it but this is as close we're gonna get or actually it's not because we'll have another podcast later in the week but draft week of 2015 was when we finally cursed all of your ears with our <laughs> weekly book thoughts. And here we are somewhere in the realm of 500,000 hours later and yeah. still going strong. It's like that, it's like that song going. from Rent, 525,600 minutes or something like that. I'll take your word for that, Jordan. Um, <laughs> It's enough of the history. That's not what you're here for. As I mentioned, it's draft week. Over the last two weeks, we discussed the books possibly trading up, the books possibly trading down. And now here we are about to set a standard, about to put our thoughts out there forever to be held accountable for. This is the make a pick week. Jordan and I are going to do our best books GMing. Um, individually, I can't help be I can't be held responsible for Jordan's picks, uh, but we are going to look to make our choices on what the books will do, and then a few days from now we'll sit back and. I guess let the anguish, the despair sink in as they do something completely different. Let's start out with pick number 10, the big one, the one we've all been waiting for, the one we've all been talking about. The best way to do this, I guess, is to run through a few guys. Maybe we'll, maybe we'll alternate it. How about that? That we like and who we feel should be in contention, could be in contention, and then we'll revisit our favorites of the bunch and who we would like the books to take 
Do you want to start us out with a name, Jordan? First name. Just imagine me like reading from like a, you know, those lottery, when they do a lottery chart. That's it. I'm, never mind. Um, first name, Deontay Davis. Okay, Mr. Deontay Davis. Um, freshman out of Michigan State. Want to call him a power forward at present? Maybe he can be a center. Very much the fashionable books pick. He seems to be the guy that a lot of books Twitter have come around to. They feel he's the best option for the pick at number 10. And um, just very quickly, I'm going to run through where he is on a couple of notable draft boards at the moment. So with Draft Express, they have Deontay Davis going. They actually have him outside of the lottery now. I feel like he's dropped in recent days. They have him going 16th to the Boston Celtics. If we move on over to our ever-controversial friend at ESPN, um, the book's trade master himself, Chad Ford. <laughs> Chad Ford currently has Deontay Davis falling also at 16 to the Boston mm -hmm. Celtics. So Chevrolet. 16 to the Celtics seems to be a popular one. What makes you feel that Davis is worth taking as high as 10? What makes him a good option for the books? Um, I would say probably the biggest uh, deciding factor uh, for taking the 10 is potential. Um, he didn't, I would, you would say it was a disappointing season, but he was one of the bigger names to come into the NCAA, NCAA this year. And he had, you know, pedestrian numbers, nothing special. His role wasn't what many envisioned him coming in or, or what many envisioned uh, when he came out, obviously, from Michigan State. Um, but there's a lot of things that he shows right now that if he continues to develop, he could be a very, very good uh, role-playing center. In my opinion, I know you alluded to it before, he kind of is in that, is he a four, is he a five? Uh, I think he that's kind of good for him because I think defensively that's going to be key. He's going to be a really, I think he's going to be a solid shot blocker no matter what. Um, but the key is can he has, you know, the agility, um, the, I guess quickness uh, too, to, uh, you know, go out and switch onto, you know, guards or something like that, play on the perimeter. Um, I actually, I, this is not a perfect comparison by any means, but I kind of see a little bit of a Tristan Thompson, now a champion, NBA champion Tristan Thompson's game, um, just the, more defensively than anything. Um, offensively, he is pretty efficient. Um, again, his he was they had the biggest role for Michigan State this year, but maybe when he enters the NBA and you know gets more minutes, all that stuff, maybe he uh, gets more about more or, you know offensive share, I guess, or higher usage rate or whatever role, kind of thing like that. Um, 
But he also shows some range. You don't know if that's just some, you know, every once in a, in a while in a game or something like that. You never know if that, you know, be a part of his game, consistency, all that stuff. So uh, I think the biggest thing for him is his potential. Uh, it's just all a matter of him reaching in that. But I think that's probably the biggest thing when uh, the Bucks should consider when picking at 10. Okay, I'm going to play the skeptic here, and I want you to play the skeptic when I suggest names, where possible, if we agree, we agree. Um, in this case, it's not hard for me to play the skeptic because I'm very skeptical. Why Why should the books be looking at potential in a big way? Obviously, every draft pick comes with potential. But there is a scale to that. There are more proven guys. There are guys who you might have a clearer picture of what their body will be like, what their game will be like, where their head is going to be. Even um, It's something that has stuck out for me with Deontay Davis all along. There's some very strange Tom Izzo quotes about him, um, about his work ethics, and he wasn't a guy who was working. He was learning how to work. Um Tom Izzo expected him to come back for another year at Michigan State, said he didn't feel like he was ready for the NBA. But then, on the other hand, Davis said his plan was always to be a one-and-done. Is there, is there a risk, considering everything that we talk about in every other podcast, so when we look at Yanis' extension coming up, Jabari's extension coming up, is there a risk in the books using this sort of pick, which draft picks are the best currency you have with the salary cap rocketing up in taking guys who are further away from being contributors is that possibly riskier now than ever particularly when you're not looking necessary to hit the home runs or you don't have to hit the home runs yeah i would agree with that i mean uh to talk about the bucks you know especially in recent over the last couple of months since the season's ended we've Heard the owners specifically, uh, not just them, obviously more you know, Kim, the players obviously, but the, the owners. It starts from the top down, and they want to become a championship contender. Uh, you know, be there in the next few years or whatever their, uh, I guess, timeline is. Um, so I would think that is. It's not a knock on him, but it, that's probably the biggest thing for them is that do you really need to go after a guy that is more on potential than anything at this point. Um, maybe, maybe not. I don't know. It depends on how you feel about it. But it's also you want to find the guy that can be not the linchpin, but something to put everything together, especially at a spot where, you know, it, there's been a lot of turnover. And, uh, you know, not just with Monroe and, you know, we'll get to him later too. But just Zaza you had for last season, or the last two seasons, now he's gone. Larry Sanders is out of the NBA. You know, Henson, he's, as we've talked about the last couple of weeks, he's always, it always feels like he should be the starter. But for whatever reason, the stuff that we don't see behind closed doors, all that stuff, he just doesn't get the opportunity. Um, so, yeah, I, I think that is kind of – it's not a knock at Davis per se. It's not just him. You could use that with a lot of guys in that range. Yeah, I, I'm not, that's, that one specifically doesn't just apply to him. 
that's yeah. more of a, a general thought on that style of prospect. Yeah. So, um, I know that I think that's the ultimate question, especially from a black perspective is that you just need, you want to win, but do you want to go out the guy that can, you know, be that solid, like you said, a single or a double, hopefully if he continues the right way or a guy that could, that looks like a single right now, this is a terrible metaphor, but <laughs> you know, just kind of, he eventually goes that way, you know, as a very solid guy, maybe like a Steven Adams type. That's uh, hopefully what I guess you want out of a guy like, uh, at a five or a center role. And see, the part of that, I feel like, I feel like the window is much tighter for these sort of things than most people like to believe. And for the books, we used to have these time frames for lots of different things and with kids extension and Justin Zanuck coming in and who knows what with John Hammond, a lot of, a lot of the deadlines we had have sort of moved. The goalposts have shifted a little bit, but one big one that is still way down the line, but it's an important one is going to be four years from now. Um, well, coming into five, but after four more seasons, actually after three, because I think he has a player option, but Chris Middleton, when his next contract comes up, is going to be the tricky part for the books. Because at that stage, realistically, well, definitely Giannis is going to be maxed, and you'd hope he'll still be in Milwaukee. Good chance that Jabari will also have a max contract. So with a guy like Dante Davis... He mightn't even be on a second deal yet. And when you look at where some of the guys are now, right, if he was Giannis, which he's not going to be because that's an incredible level, that's perfect. But most guys at that point aren't necessarily an ideal spot to to contribute. You can find them. You're right. They're definitely available. Stephen Adams is a good example of that type of player. But if it's someone who is sort of a year further away again, that's where all of that gets very, very dicey. And it seems like something minor because if it was four years from now and say if it was Deontay Davis, for example, or was Middleton's final year in his contract and Giannis is in his prime and Jabari's in his prime and Davis was good, but he just wasn't quite as good as you'd like him to be, to be the ideal starter beside them or something like that. That matters because even if he peaks a year later, a year later, you might have had to break things up or change things around a little. Things aren't the same. It's very hard to think that far ahead, but that's the position the books are in because they have talent to manage if they want to keep them there. And of course, between now and then, that's such a long time, they could decide they don't want to keep those particular players there. They might try something completely different. We don't know. But it sort of just niggles in the back of my head and any sort of thinking like that. I do like the idea of someone who I feel could really make an impact this year. And I, I think there's a lot about Deontay Davis, which is very good. I don't dislike him as a player. I'm not sure about him at the books, but I don't dislike him as a player. But I feel he's a guy who's set up for a Rashad Vaughn-like rookie year. If you're looking for him to make any impact as a rookie, I mean, you're going to be disappointed. So mm. 
that's a little bit of a problem for me with that type of guy not specifically him although he falls into that sort of category more specifically to him i'm not entirely convinced on him as a center to me i just see power forward and unless he figures out his shooting stroke he's a big power forward so unless that shot becomes something that isn't just sort of there that we say he can do unless it becomes something that's really consistent i'm not entirely sure who he is he said in his his office in media availability afterwards or if he had said it to the books but anyway the report was that he's described himself as stretch four he's not that yet if he shoots better that's fine but i'm more inclined to find him in the four and that's the problem i have at the moment i think he's big possibly too big for power forward too big without being strong or physical because he's quite a, a wiry frame and then at the same time he's not enough of a shooter to pull it off in a stretch capacity yet so what is it about him that's standing out to you where you do feel he can be the five is that that you're just not worried about a traditional style center and you feel the books can play a little bit smaller and that'll be fine or what is it that stands out for you with, with him in that regard? I would say defensively, more than anything, um, I think he does need to improve his strength, especially, you know, you're going to come into an NBA, even though the NBA has trended more smaller, you're still going up against guys that are very built, you know, strong, all this stuff. And as we've seen with, you know, a guy like John Hansen, John Hansen has – uh, you know, <laughs> like anything with John Hanson, he has been inconsistent with how he matches up with guys that are, you know, more physically built or, you know, stronger than him. Um, I feel like that is going to be probably his biggest struggle on the end for at least his rookie season, maybe, you know, two years or three years in the league. But I, I don't know. There's just something about the fact that he can – move out on the perimeter or he has you know great shot blocking uh timing the ability all that stuff uh it, i don't know it's I, I just think that's what he that sort of distinguishes him as a center in my eyes um the fact that he can you know do both things very very well um yeah okay deontay davis I will, I should say actually, just before we move on, Davis is one of the leading contenders. So there's no doubt about that. He interviewed with the books, the combine. He was only the fourth player so far. I do think we're going to have workouts, the final workouts tomorrow and the last workouts of that too. And that'll be Tuesday as we post this, but I could be wrong, but at present he's, only the fourth player to have an individual workout for the books. And as you might have seen on Twitter on Monday night, he's having dinner with the books. So I'm not sure how unusual that is, but I think it's probably less so than we might make it out to be. But dinner after an individual workout may be a little bit more significant. So Deontay Davis is certainly in the mix. 
the first guy I'll put forward as a contender at 10 is also certainly in the mix, and that is probably the guy we spent the most time talking about, Jakob Poodle. Another one who interviewed with the books to combine, he is another who has had an individual workout. I think, and part of this for me is I am a fit guy when a team is where the books are at. Best player available versus fit is maybe the most divisive conversation you can have with anyone who follows the NBA. But if you're a team where the books are, if the books just draft the best player available this year and he happens to be a small forward, a power forward, a shooting guard, positions where they don't really have a gaping need, you fill up a roster spot and you still have to find, say, a center or a point guard. And now you have less money to do it and you have less opportunities to find one on a reasonable deal at present. So that's why best player available as a blanket strategy gets really difficult for me. Um, when you're at a point where you've found your best players available from other drafts and it's about making things work around them, that's where fit really kicks in. And that's where I'm at with the books. For Poodle, I think he's an excellent fit for where the books are at if they want to move away from Monroe, which we've sort of felt for a long time that they should, and it seems like they're at least going to try. And whether that's a possibility is another thing. But if they want to do that, the things that theoretically we would discuss as being needs for the center, a lot of what, say, Miles Plumley showed last year, but with a little bit more to it, he has that about his game. Big, big guy, strong, physical guy who's still probably going to fill out more. He looks like... By the time he's done, he will be a colossus. He's already, I want to say, 7 more. So, he's an old school center. He's going to be strong on the boards. He's not an elite defender, but he's a good, above average defender. He is also good and above average on the offensive end. And to revert back to a comparison we tried in the past, a lot of them feels like if you were to take some of the best of Monroe and some of the best of Plumley, that would sound like a solid base to find the book's ideal center. And that sums up Poodle very well. Part of it with him, he has bigger aspirations. Maybe this is just a trend. As we said, Deontay Davis sees himself as a stretch four. <laughs> Poodle has talked about he sees himself being a Pau Gasol-like player. That's his aspiration. He'd like to be able to show that he can shoot like that. I don't know if it was the books workout. Maybe it was one for Draft Express that I actually saw. But I have definitely seen, it was, was Draft Express have uh, workout footage of Poodle where he makes a lot of three-pointers? Uh, very unconvincing stroke, but he makes a lot of three-pointers all the same. I think the shot starts somewhere down around his ankle. His form is that unorthodox <laughs> looking. Uh, but they were going in, so hey, whatever works. I think if we're to tick off areas for the books, you want a center, a good rebounder, a good defender, 
someone who can still score when given the opportunity and someone who will be low usage so for me he ticks all of those boxes he has as a bonus you'd like someone who's relatively athletic for her size he he is that i mean he's not gonna knock anyone out in terms of athleticism but he'll get up and down the court he's quite mobile he'll be able to finish and transition i like him i would not be upset if they drafted him and the funny thing about it is i think he is maybe the least popular prospect among books fans uh, one uh, of one of okay i can think of, i can think of one other <laughs> uh, i can think of one that isn't popular among us and i don't think any books fan is taking seriously at the moment so come thursday night we'll have to learn to take them seriously probably but he's right up there and we spoke about this weeks ago i might have had something of a rant about it but it's because he's not exciting there's nothing glamorous about picking Jakob poodle but we don't need the glamorous guy Yanis can be that jabari can be that even middleton can be that so it's about finding the best and i would like to think the quickest way to win a lot of games and he seems like a decent option for that. I, I wouldn't be surprised if he could be a starting center in the NBA, if if not at the start of the season, by the time all-star break rolls around. And the difference between him and maybe a guy like Davis or some of the other prospects who we talked about who are a bit more raw, he had a chance to come out last year and his stock was quite good. He would have gone around the end of the lottery, mid-first round, and he decided to go back to school for another year. And he looks sort of more fully formed, probably stronger. He's reaped the rewards for that. Not not going to be the guy who transforms the franchise, but I don't know if we're really looking to find that anyway. What are your thoughts on Poodle? I'm a I'm a poodler. Uh, that's yeah. I was not happy with that. Um, yeah, I think you kind of hit on the head. He isn't the glamorous or sexy pick uh, at 10. But I think if you, obviously, I was <laughs> going to say, if you ask or see any draft experts or, you know, someone who has an eye towards the draft, they would say he has the best setter uh, in this class. And I tend to agree. Um, maybe that's partially because of the level of top talent, I guess. But he is just going to find a role in this league. And uh, the, you know, the blending of Monroe and Plumbing, I think, is perfect for him. Uh, or that comparison, I should say. Um, yeah, I think, I don't know. I just think he, there's a reason why he has been very, you know, long associated with the Bucks, even going back to last year. Uh, before he pulled out his name in the draft. So um, I would be happy with the pick. I know it's not the most popular opinion about uh, the Bucks, uh, you know, taking so many attempt, but you just need a solid player at that point. And I think Poodle is going to be like that and hopefully more. Like I, I think people would come around to the idea of the pick pretty quickly when – 
probably within the first month or so of the season he could play some respectable minutes mm-hmm. i mean that's exciting for people or when you, like at summer league if you see him play he looked like a man amongst boys with some rookies so i mean look at i mean not to make this comparison but just look at how we felt about rashad vaughn in preseason i mean preseason is not a very it's not this regular season but the games that he was having that how quickly change people's opinions and then and maybe disappoint i mean stan van gundy might have given us andre drummond for preseason rashad vaughn <laughs> that's true i forgot about that <laughs> he's gonna be in this league for a long time <laughs> He didn't. And to be fair to Stan McGundy, he didn't say where in the rotation he'd be. In the league. Exactly. He just said he's going to be in this league for a long time. He's not. He wrong. didn't even. He didn't even say he'd be a player. He's just. I mean, <laughs> he'll just be in the league. Maybe he'll work in PR or something. I don't know. It's a joke. You, regular listeners will know we are very much supporters, patient supporters of Rashad Vaughn. Very. Give me a name, Jordan. Give you a name? Oh, uh, <laughs> let's go. Uh, maybe the second most talked about name when it comes to the Bucks picky at ten. Wade Baldwin. Is Wade Baldwin the second most talked about name? I I would say so. Oh, okay. Among us or in general? I would say in general. Interesting. Give us your Baldwin thoughts. Um, as we have talked about over the last couple of weeks, uh, and when we went did our position overview, um, I think Wade Baldwin is going to be a very good shooter. He's already a good shooter uh, at his time in Vanderbilt. Um, does have point guard questions, uh, not necessarily like vision or anything like that, but just doesn't have the best handles or I guess point guard skills. But if there were any other team besides the Bucks, maybe even I guess if you want to go Cavaliers or another, you know, whatever. I, I, that's not as big of a problem because of Giannis playing point guard, being a ball handler, whatever you want to put it. Um, and defensively, he has a very, <laughs> as we like to point out, he has a very long wingspan. I want to say, I always forget the number, it's 6'10", maybe 6'11", up there, and he's 6'2". Um, I think he... If he had, if he plays up to his role, I think he could be a very good defender. Uh, he certainly has the uh, physical traits to play up to it. It's just a matter of him committing to that role. Um, he, I would say he's not. He's more of like an upside pick in the vein of Davis more than anything. He had solid, you know, solid season for Vanderbilt this past year, but. I would say more or it, there's more potential with him than uh, proven uh, results with him. Um, but yeah, I would I would not be opposed to a Baldwin selection. 
personally. I disagree on the upside note in regard to the books. I think it was another team and he was being drafted as a point guard to play as a traditional point guard. I'd agree entirely because his ball handling, his playmaking maybe leaves a little to be desired. But for the books, can he come in and play off the ball, show good effort and maybe focus as a defender, be competitive, make open shots? I think he could do that sooner rather than later. If not do it well as a rookie, I think within within a couple of years he could definitely be there to a point where he could start. I don't I don't feel like that's unrealistic based on his skills and based on where he's at in terms of his game. I just don't think there is a way to find this sort of ideal paint by numbers books point guard that we've all sort of constructed for what the point guard should be if Giannis is the ball handler I just don't think you have a better opportunity to get that guy than in taking Wade Baldwin he does everything we can do all the talking we want about guys like George Hill but this is someone who if they turn out well will defend really well they'll shoot really well They'll be able to create and pass, not necessarily at an elite level, but you don't need that. They'll be able to do it at a passable level, that it will be fine. And then on top of that, the part that really makes him feel tailor-made for the books is the wingspan. You said, and rightly so, we talk about the wingspan. But the reason we talk about the wingspan is it's, it's not just a long wingspan. He's a six eleven and a half wingspan for a point guard. I mean, I want to say he's six three tall, maybe six four. Um, it's obscene. Guys like Rondo, guys like Dennis Schroeder, like the guys like Michael Carter Williams, the most long armed point guards in the league at present, don't come close to that. Sean Livingston, I don't think he even gets there. I think actually I want to say the one that comes close is kind of a surprising one. I want to say it's Reggie Jackson. I still think Reggie Jackson is about six nine and a half or six ten. That sounds right. Um, which Rondo is about six nine as well, which considering his height is ridiculously long. But point guards with seven foot wingspans, and I mean real traditional point guards, not Giannis. Those type of guys just don't exist. And so when you get a player who has all the skills the books need and then also has the length that we used to sort of obsess over in this idea, and it's clearly something the books like, this is a guy who can bring everything you know you need now following the failed Michael Carter Williams experiment, but also a lot of the things you bought into Michael Carter Williams for in the first place. And it, that's that's interesting, particularly when we describe Poodle as this Greg Monroe-Miles Plumley hybrid, but maybe there's a bit of that in Wade Baldwin. He can be the guy who, having learned the mistakes, having learned from the mistakes they've made, they can go okay, well, this is what works well from that idea and this is what we still need, but we really need someone who can also do this. And 
when you put all of that together, it's hard not to look favorably on Wade Baldwin. Like I see big concerns. One of the biggest for him is people talk about his finishing at the rim. I want to say he shot something like 39% at the rim last year with Vanderbilt, which is terrible. Yeah. But, I mean, I don't really care. It doesn't worry me right now. You'd hope he'd get better, but particularly for the books, you're going to want him on the perimeter. You're going to want more often than not him not to be the guy driving to the rim. That's part of the problem maybe with mcw at the moment and it's something that when he's going to be playing off ball point guards traditionally will drive to the rim a lot because they have the ball in their hands and it will come to a point where they've got to make a decision to go themselves or create for a teammate and one of the best ways to create an opportunity either way is to look for penetration and if that's not there if you're not looking to do that as often which he won't be when Giannis is initiating you don't need to do it then so I think he could play in the perimeter more. It just doesn't put me off, really. It doesn't scare me that much. Yeah, and, and to kind of add on to that, there was a difference, or, well, you would assume there's going to be a big difference between his role and Vanderbilt, where he was, you know, arguably the lead guy, maybe next to Jones and some of their other, you know, complementary players or role players or whatever. Um you know, with Giannis, his ball handling duties, you know, they're, they're going to skyrocket, or not skyrocket, but be more what they were at the end of this, this past season. Milton, you know, his role was fairly big, obviously. Where what Even maybe last year, I would say. Uh, Jabari, he's going to get more of the opportunity handling ball. Um, and that might be better for him to – you know, play off the ball because he is such a good shooter. There'll be opportunities for him to improve his finishing at the rim because the defense is going to look at those three, Chris, Giannis, Jabari. They're going to emphasize on them. That's where players like Baldwin, if you, you know, can shoot well. Even I'll throw Vaughn for that matter. You want to see a guy like Vaughn who has this, you know, shooter's potential, shooter's touch, whatever. That's that's how they're going to get their you know opportunities and if they capitalize them, that's how you win games and you know it, there's a trickle down effect to all that stuff. Hashtag point Vaughn. Point <laughs> point Vaughn. That's a blast for the past. <laughs> you and Wade Baldwin. Baldwin, I should mention because I'm. I've done this for the other guys, but Baldwin also interviewed with the books at the Combine. And he came in for a workout the other day. He was in a group setting workout, not an individual workout. But, I mean, Rashad Vaughn never had an individual workout last year. So, although there might be something to that, it's not necessarily something to always read into. I'll go with another guy who did of an individual workout and somewhat surprisingly i think it, it caught me off guard anyway i wasn't he came in on the same day as wade baldwin and another point guard who shall remain nameless until we discuss him later um and out of the bunch i wouldn't have thought this would be the guy who get the individual workout but 
Michigan State's Denzel Valentine. Valentine is an interesting one. He's a guy we've talked about from a long way out. Um, it's a pity Ty isn't here for this because Valentine is Ty's guy and has been for a long, long time. He loves his game. He loves everything he does. I feel like this is the sort of option where, going back to what I was saying earlier about the books looking for guys who can contribute sooner and not being worried about waiting five, six years for someone to hit their stride and then it being too late, maybe the situation in terms of contracts and everything has become too unmanageable and this opportunity has passed by the time that person hits their prime. I don't feel like you get that problem with Valentine, who is, he's a senior, he's incredibly experienced, not just playing in college, coasting through college for all that time. Playing with the Spartans, you're going to have really high-level experience, some sort of good tournament experience, playing under a top-quality top college coach. You just, you're inclined to feel it's not going to be quite as big a step up to the NBA. In terms of at least the spectacle of it or things like that, there's not going to be quite as big a deal. Valentine averaged close to 19, 8, and 8 last year. He's 6'6". Was probably originally a small forward prospect, then played two guards, was their de facto point guard last year, maybe in a mold not too dissimilar to what Yanis did. To me, though, he's a shooter. He's proven it. He can defend, and he's going to be a wiser head on still young shoulders. I think that's important, and I'm not against the books picking an older guy if they feel the right guy is there this year. I don't think it's a bad idea. With such a young roster, there's probably a point where adding 18- and 19-year-olds over and over again starts to... It just starts to get a little bit tricky. There's a lot of really young guys at the moment. So someone who's a little bit older and or at least has a bit more experience in playing is not a bad idea. Concerns over Valentine generally come in the form of, I want to say his quickness more than anything, is will he be able to compete with NBA point guards? Will he be able to guard them? Is he athletic enough to play on the wings? It's sort of... It's a tweener debate. It's his skill set he can play here, but is his body up to it? Um, does he really fit at any of those backcourt spots? I like him. I don't feel there's any guarantee on how it would work out long-term. But looking at what we know now, if you put all, all the information that's there in terms of him on paper, you look at his skills... I'm certainly not opposed to it. One other big concern, and it's sort of it's come up a lot in the last week to 10 days, and it's been the driving force behind him tumbling down big boards, is there's concerns over a knee injury, sort of a problem with his knee that's... I don't know. We have very little information. Maybe it's a problem with the... 
I guess the construction of his knee, it's something more significant, possibly something that will get worse over time. Valentine himself is adamant that he's healthy. Um, I read a quote where he said he's only missed four games throughout his entire time in college, which is like really impressive for even a particularly healthy player. So that was that was interesting. But as in a guy who's playing for a few years already, any sort of wear and tear on the knee even is going to be a red flag. So that factors into it as well as a risk. I think it would be... It would be maybe the safest pick they could make in one way, and then the other it would be a big risk. I wouldn't hate it. I like I like him enough as a player. I like enough about what he brings that if they were to go that route, maybe it's a reach depending on how severe any knee issues are, but I wouldn't be so dramatically opposed to it. Interesting to note with him, he didn't actually interview with the Bucks at the Combine. He was there, so they didn't they didn't take a look at Valentine at all at the draft combine. But I suppose in that sense, an individual workout for him maybe seems a little bit more logical. You get a bit more time to sort of talk to him and take a really good look. What are your thoughts on Denzel Valentine? Um, I'm a little more conflicted with him uh, in terms of a Bucksmith. I think he is going to be a great player. I actually see a lot of uh, Chris Middleton in him, especially, I think, shooting-wise. You know, he shot, what, 45% from three. Yeah. Uh, I think I think he I think that'll extend out to the NBA three point line. <laughs> um, uh, just in turn the where I it gets hairy for me is I don't I just don't see him defending point guards or even pos depending on the shooting guard too. Uh, I don't see him doing that very well. And then by the time you get to trees, he's probably not strong enough. Exactly. Yeah, that's – I know it's – I can usually be wrong about this, obviously. It's just my opinion of him. Um, but I just don't see it. And I know he gets this comparison to Draymond Green, obviously, going to Michigan State. They're kind of that same, you know, kind of do-it-all type player. But the difference between that comparison in my eyes is that the fact that Draymond Green, what makes it special is the fact that he can play this small ball type center. You know, he's a power or even a you know small forward. Uh, he has a small forward body, but he plays like a big. He can do all that stuff. Valentine's a little different because he's more of a perimeter player. He's obviously I don't, he's not going to be a power forward or anything like that. You know, barring some crazy, you know, he just gets buffed up or something like that. But uh, I think it's going to be a little harder for him to try to play it on the opposite end of the spectrum. Maybe if they, if wherever he goes, if teams want to experiment with him as like a point or even just, you know, as a two, uh, I think that's going to be a little tougher for him because he just doesn't have 
I, he just doesn't have that, you know, even like a normal athleticism to kind of warrant him playing that type of role. But um, I still think he's going to be a great player. He's obviously, you know, I believe he won Nays or the Naismith Award or Wooden Award. Yeah, or he was. Like he was the AP Player of the Year, wasn't he? Yeah, um, and it was, you know, obviously. Rightly so, because of you know, those crazy numbers. Uh, he's going to be a great player, wherever it is. If it's just a role player uh, or a complimentary player or whatever, uh, he's. I don't think he's going to be a star or anything like that. But in terms of the Bucks, I'm a little more. I'm a little more conflicted. Out. I I get that. I do. I, I share the same concerns on defense, and at the same time. In the back of my head, I sort of think, well, he is actually he's a he is a good defender. He's not he's not a bad defender, but as you said, it's just the tricky part is what position is he going to defend in the NBA and how will that work out? Can he defend any of them? Have we ran through the board of players you like, or have you more names for us, Jordan? Sure thing of Um, I've I've got some I've got I've got some more I like anyway who are probably reaches but I like them, um and then there are some who are might be in contention but I'm not a fan of I mean we can do that before we make a pick as well, <laughs> um but as a Bucks podcast we always have to go to the other side of the spectrum yeah, of course we have to prepare for the worst <laughs> this is our, that's the bomb or not bomb shelter but our nuclear fallout shelter portion where we stock up with all the canned goods, water, and then, yeah. I wonder if I can get that out as like a, sort of like a subtitle on the site. It could be like, hope for the best, prepare for the worst. Yeah. Hmm. Any other names, Jordan? Uh, in terms of p- players I like, is that what we're doing? Yeah, first we'll do that. We can be positive for a few more minutes before we have to fill our books quota. Um, I kind of drawing a blank. If you have one, I uh, I have one. Um, I've I'll bundle the three of them together. I've got three other guys who. I really quite like their games. I like the idea of what they could become in the NBA. They are the risks. They are the higher upside guys. And that's why they're probably not the right decisions at 10. If the books were to go there, I could probably talk myself into it, even though it would be a reach. Um, I'll start with probably the most realistic of them because... He worked out recently for the books where Deontay Davis had dinner with the books. Malachi Richardson had breakfast with the books. <laughs> he is in theory, which is a classic phrase of our podcast one year on, but in theory, Malachi Richardson should become the perfect NBA wing. He's got excellent length. Um, he should develop sort of a good 
reliable defensive side to his game. He has shooting potential, even if it's not consistent. He can also create shots for himself, pass a little bit. He has a little bit of it all, but maybe doesn't do everything as as often as he should. He doesn't put it all together as often as he should. He did later in the year. He did in the tournament. But before that, that was a bit of a question mark. He himself, I actually think it was Charles Gardner, the Milwaukee Journal Sentinel had this um, after his workout. But Richardson sort of attributed that to just he felt a lot more comfortable towards the end of the college season. And in his mind, he feels like it was a truer picture of him, like people got to see by the time the tournament rolled around. I think the books have this constant need for shooters and defense, even if it's not as a starter. If ultimately they were so comfortable with Yanis running the point, initiating the offense that they felt they didn't need a point guard style player, an extra wing is the consensus for what they do. I think in those sort of scenarios, Malachi Richardson could make sense. Problem, as I said, is there's a lot of hypotheticals there. You're working off of things he has shown, sort of flashes of potential rather than him having proven that he can do that. The other two guys who I like in the sort of top 20 range, both internationals. First off, I'll go with Furkan Korkmaz. I just left a gap there in case Jordan had another terrible Furkan Korkmaz joke. Um, Excuse your language. He just used basically the same terrible Furkan Korkmaz joke he used last week. (laughs) I am taking greater care in saying Furkan Korkmaz, though. If I say too often, bad things might happen. But It's like a tongue twister. It is a little bit. With him, I, at the moment... I think I've said it before on the podcast. I think he could become the best shooter in the draft. To me, he's Ooh. very, very close to what Buddy Heal is. Ooh. In terms of pure shooters, there's not a. There's I, I, not, that sounds like me, like, I'm not agree, but that, that's my sound effect for that's a very fiery take, as the kids say. I don't, I don't think it is that fiery. Name the great shooters in the draft behind Hield. I think Murray's up there. Um, I know uh, Draft Express favorite, especially Mike Schmitz, Isaiah Cordinier. He's more of a potential guy. Um, but yeah, that's probably about it. The only, only thing that scares me with Cordinier is he is doing his best and um, pre-NBA Damien Inglis impression right now. He's literally, <laughs> he's literally in, yeah, in OKC workout because right now he is he's doing the whole look at how well I'm shooting and the things I'm doing in the French B-League. Um, so that can all go wrong yet. Now, I think I think Korkma's shot is silky smooth. Looks... Hashtag. Just hashtag silky smooth. Yeah, that's <laughs> might be an interesting hashtag. I don't, a lot of things could be taken in there. Um, but 
I think it's repeatable. I think he'll have no problems at range. He fires away from pretty much anywhere. He's also incredibly athletic. He won the dunk contest in Turkey and while wearing a Darth Vader mask. I want to say it was Darth Vader. I think I'm remembering correctly. Yes. Uh, he was also wearing a cape. Um, yeah, it was. It was Darth Vader mask and cape. I know, but the cape is weird. I know. Hey, the cape was weird. Vader does wear a cape. You don't associate well, what with What did you say is more of a cloak? Yeah, but, I mean, he was trying to win a dunk contest at the same time, so. Yeah. A cloak might not have been quite as aerodynamic. Let's just say he did. He won the dog contest, but he didn't win the creative wardrobe contest. Uh, I, I think he won the creative. This was the Turkish dunk contest. He was being very imaginative compared to other contestants that I saw. So yeah, really good athlete. Um, concerns over his body. He's a little bit thin. He has a lot of filling out to do. He is probably a guy that you would be best stashing, which if they use the 10th overall pick on a guy who wasn't to play next year, that might cause uproar. And then it will eventually cause irrational excitement and ultimately lead to disappointment. <laughs> so that's like, <laughs> that's the complete arc of Bucks International draft pick right there. Our team, our town. <laughs> So Corkmaz is a guy I'm quite fond of. Um, someone I was a little bit higher on early in the process. He was my favorite pick initially. Um, I've cooled off a little bit, but still intrigues me enough that if they suck him, I'd say, okay. Um, Timothy Luabu. Once again, exceptional length. Is showing himself to be a good shooter, even though we're working off a one-season sample size of being a good shooter. Should be able to translate to be a good defender in the NBA. Can create offense a little bit for himself, for others as well. Solid rebounder. Just another nice all-around wing player, which, as I mentioned, the books can't really have enough of because they've only got starters in those positions at the moment. So I wouldn't... I wouldn't be thrilled. I would feel it was a reach at 10, but I'd warm to it. He's an exciting prospect, someone who could pan out to be incredibly good. That can happen with Euro guys in the mid-first round. Um, I deal with it. I'd be quite happy. They are, they are my guys. A couple of others who probably just miss out. There are other guys I maybe I like what they do, but not for the books. But that'll be my list of players. Anyone else occur to you? Are we ready to go into the real the real home of books draft talk, the guys we don't like? This is my bread and butter. Let's do it. Uh, I don't know. Yeah, look, I'll give you the opportunity to get this one out of the way first, Jordan. Oh, okay. uh, how do I introduce 
Well, I'll, I'll introduce you. Okay. I don't want to give you too many words. We just <laughs> reset you up and you'll hit it out of the park. That's how this works. A certain Chad Ford VSPN has now mocked a certain player to the books in his last two mock drafts. That player would be Washington's Dejunte Murray. At the time when he was first mocked at 10 to the books, there was no major draft board that I followed that had him in the first round. That was bizarre. It was concerning. It was a little bit out of left field. That nearly applied and rang true again when Chad Ford's latest mock, which is, I think, is 9.0 is what he's on at the moment. When that came out, once again, he had Murray at 10, was listing him as this sort of point guard that the books seemingly need, and nowhere else was he to be seen in the first round. I'm not sure if it just happened today, but Draft Express have moved Murray up to 15. I don't know if that has something to do with the fact that he is one of, I think we're up to 19 confirmed attendees now for the green room on draft night. But generally an invite to the green room means you're onto a good thing, and Murray has one. So if not in the lottery, he's going to go close. We are not fans, though, and for good reason. And on that note, I'll... Let Jordan Tresky start ranting. This will be a polite rant. You don't do it any other way, Jordan. Yeah. Uh, I, as a person that doesn't get too emotional about Bucks picks, it's not really emotional. It's more of just it's either, oh, that's great, or <laughs> oh, that's more of what it is. Wide, the more apt term is wide-ranging emotions. When, um, when's the last time you went, oh, that's great? Well, that, I'm guessing it was Jabari, but before that, I'm not I'm trying to think. Actually, of... Jabari, I was, I was super, I was definitely very excited. Um, yeah, but aside from that, like, when's the last time you had that reaction, the other reaction, the good reaction? The good reaction? Probably Giannis, because I, I just thought he was really intriguing, but I didn't really know much about at that time. Um, yeah, I would say Giannis. That's what kind of it doesn't happen often, basically, is what I'm trying to Yeah, too few and far between. Um, I would be legitimately angry if DeJounte Murray would be selected at number 10. It would be a watershed moment. I see it happening. I see the children playing. It's like that, you know, that Terminator 2 uh, Judgment Day where <laughs> this is a terrible. But no, no, I'm loving it. Keep going. Where <laughs> uh, Sarah Connor sees the children play, like she sees like her child playing in like a playpen or a park. And they're, you know, swinging swings. <laughs> and they're playing at like a jungle gym. All of a sudden, like, you know, uh, What's judgment day happens and everything just wipes out. She's holding the fence and just like her, you know, 
It's it got very dark right there, but uh, that's how I would be. I would be like Sir Connor clutching a fence uh, as my flesh and bone turn to dust if Dejounte Murray gets selected by the Bucks. This, um, this seems like a good time for a plug. Um, on Thursday night, we will have a podcast immediately after the draft <laughs> uh, to capture our reactions to the Bucks draft night picks. So tune in for Jordan Tresky's Dejounte Murray takes on Thursday night, sometime late that evening. Yeah. What were you saying, Jordan? Um, that's about it. I just, I, uh, I just. Uh. Oh, let me. I'll. I'll go uh. into some of the details of this game and let Jordan compose himself and then get angry again. <laughs> the problem. The problem with Murray is he is about as raw as raw could be. He played on a good team. Probably fair to say a team of guys that could could all have used another year in college. And no one more so than him. He has good size. He's 6'5". He's fast, decently athletic. He's long. The absolutely inescapable reality of this for Bucks fans is he is very Michael Carter-Williams-esque. He can't shoot. He can't defend. If we're being honest, he is Michael Carter Williams. If the books had drafted him, like I don't know, two years earlier in his development, like he's maybe they're hoping, oh, that's the type of guy we need. But we just we caught him too late to fix him. Let's let's get one earlier, and that's what we rebuild him. Yeah, that's basically the idea behind that if they if they pick Murray. Uh, because the chances even in a weak draft class, I mean, unless 15 guys got injured in game one and missed the entire season, even then it would probably be a stretch. The chances of Murray becoming rookie of the year are zero. Would never happen. This would be the biggest upside pick possible. And the main problem I'd have with it is the upside is not worth the book's while. A lot of the talk you see around Murray is that he could be a star point guard. If he reaches his maximum potential, he could be a great player. He'd be of no benefit to the books of what they have right now. This would be, I mean, best best player available of the highest order for the books to pick him, and I'd be questioning how they felt he was the best player available. The only way I could see it making sense, I mean, they'd have to be so convinced of the star potential. They'd have to feel like we're getting someone really special here. And if they feel that way, I don't know what evidence they've got for it. He did work out, as I mentioned, he was the player who would not be named. Hashtag naming names. Um, but he did work out the same day as Denzel Valentine and in the same group session as Wade Baldwin. So for the sake of Jordan Tresky's sanity, let's all hope Wade Baldwin put on 
an absolute clinic in that workout and just made Murray look very mediocre. I, I mean, that's probably kind. Have you anything to add to that now that we've talked about his game a little bit more? Um, I do have something to add to it. I do think... I, I do think he's going to be a fine player. I don't know if he'll get star potential or, or reach the star potential that, you know, some are clamoring. <laughs> uh, but I think he's going to be, you know, solid, maybe at best like a six-man type guy. It's just – it would be rinse and repeat with, you know, a MCW experiment when the first one wasn't that good. First experiment did not go well. We thought we were making, uh, you know, you would hope it was this happy accident like uh, uh, penicillin. But we, uh, <laughs> we, <laughs> we made something other than penicillin. We made something far more egregious, egregious building. Um. We've a mailbag question that I might hold on to that quote for later. Um, <laughs> another guy who I don't like. There's lots of them, but <laughs> just so just to start with one first of all, I'm gonna throw them all there. So a few guys I mentioned in a moment who I don't like for the books, but I think they'll be very good players. Um. You know, I'll, I'll get them out of the way now because I, I don't feel the need to talk about them in a lot of detail. I, I don't have holes to pick in their game. I just don't feel they are the best books options. And that is DeMontis Sabonis, who clearly isn't even on the radar unless he shows up for a last-minute workout because so far, no, no interview, no workout that we know of. It is possible, as history has told us, recent history, that teams can see players they really like in an sort of external workout setting and fall for them there, but there's no indication that Sabonis has even really been doing that. Um, he notably didn't attend the Combine, which is always strange. That explains the lack of an interview. But also led to a lot of speculation about him maybe having a guarantee. So I think he'd be a good player. I don't really know what the books would want out of the style of power forward he might be with the 10th overall pick. And I don't think he'll ever be up to being an NBA center physically. So that's why he's out for me. The other guy is Henry Ellenson. And he has had an individual workout. I'm just brushing on past that. He has had an individual workout. He is the fourth player. We've we talked with the other three. He is the fourth guy who's had an individual workout. Of course, he's a Wisconsin native. I'm just looking here. I think maybe he's gotten taller since I last looked. I don't know where that's come from. Um, Draft Express are listing him at seven foot. 
Yeah, he was six eleven and a half in shoes at the combine. Six eleven was his height, as far as I was aware. So I'm, I don't. They're not listing any other official pre-draft measurements. So I'm curious as to why that has changed to seven foot. But okay, um, maybe maybe I should be rethinking this now. Height gate. Yeah. Um, I mean, he's only nineteen. Technically, don't finish growing till you're twenty-one. So. He's someone I think his frame will fill out. I think he could be strong enough to be a center. He clearly has the height now. The problem is he is probably Greg Monroe with the ability to shoot the ball. And that is a very, very good NBA player. But if Jabari Parker is part of the book's plan, they need someone who can also make an impact on defense and I don't know if Ellenson will be as bad as that but he is away away at present do you feel that's fair maybe it's a bit harsh I would agree um yeah it just doesn't as a Wisconsinite it does not move the needle for me to draft someone that has ties to state that doesn't have is that a uh, is that a general thing or oh yeah that's more of a general thing but just with Ellison in particular too he just doesn't it's like you said it just that's it doesn't fit to me I don't see how it could work as, for him to be as a five in this case um yeah, I, I think he's more. I think we talked when well, we went over him or did uh, position by position. We put him power so, forwards. We did. Yeah, I, I want to say he. It's kind of you could compare him to like a uh, poor man's Kevin Love or a Ryan Anderson. Uh, to my knowledge, those guys are not centers. <laughs> I could be wrong there. Well, but, uh, Love Love can play a bit of center. I think Love, uh, yeah, that's true. Love no. is probably a good call. That's that's actually a better than me saying Greg Monroe with a jump shot because that's pretty close to what Kevin Love is. Yeah. Um, which I mean, hey, we can knock Kevin Love's defense. Kevin Love's defense wins championships. Yeah. Just just when you needed final plays of game seven. NBA Finals Series, Kevin Love's defense can win your championship. So, who knows? We're both in agreement that Ellenson's going to be a good player, but just not ideal for the books. We'll be better served going elsewhere. Yes, definitely. Okay, so there are two guys I don't like for the books, but I like them. They're good. Then we've got Scott Labissier. Scott Labissier has shown nothing let's be very real here he showed nothing as a freshman in college he may have been an outstanding high school player one of the very top recruits once projected to be first overall in this class he's not that guy though we talk about everything literally everything is hashtag in theory with Scalabissier. And 
we say that enough on the podcast as it is without the books drafting scale i have major doubts over whether he will bulk up to a point where he's strong enough to hold off nba centers more physical nba centers he just doesn't look to have that body type he has this shot supposedly particularly in workouts this shot he refrained from shooting a lot of the time in college but until you've seen it in games you're not going to buy into it as a key part of what you're getting I, I just don't like anything about him except uh, I don't I don't know him personally so um, he might be a very nice guy but as a basketball player I'm not a fan particularly in around the top 10 no thanks that's the guy who I'm probably most well Murray's Murray goes close um, they'd be the two guys I'm most worried about the picking the difference is with Labissier, he hasn't been interviewed and hasn't been worked out once again as of yet on the workout but the books have at least sort of spoken to on Draft Express's board they spoke to about we'll say 60% of the guys who should be in their range maybe more 70% so not having spoken to him seems like a good indicator he's not in play for that pick I'm done with my negativity have you got any more um I I'll add on to the scale uh Criticism, hashtag. Uh, I do. I'm a little higher on him. I think there again, a lot of it is in theory. Uh, I think he has the potential to be, uh, you know, decent shooter. I've seen a lot of comparisons to Channing Fry, and I get the shooting part. I mean, I I watch Channing Fry tear my hawks limb from limb this year in the playoffs that's like there's just no evidence from Labissier that he can be that sort of caliber of a shooter and I mean if if you judge or go about basing your predictions on you know can they meet what their ceiling is or whatever I think defensively he's a little bit more of – there's more def- – he has defensive potential where Jay Fry I think is just kind of, you know, he's a, not a lost cause, but it's not great, uh, even though he just won a championship. So who do I know or what do I know? Uh, I think – but in terms of the Bucks, he's just not where they want to be because – Mainly because he needs to go to a developing team. The fact that he's entered the draft, you know, he's still highly, not highly regarded, but he is, you know, how he thought of. I think he might be, and where he falls, I think it's probably close to the later lottery, maybe even out of it. But there's still something there for teams to uh, take a gamble on. The Bucks should not be one of those teams because he just doesn't fit their timeline. I, I think he should go to Phoenix at 13. Well, that would make sense with the Channing Fry. Yeah. Maybe it's, 
<laughs> possibly, possibly he could go to the Bulls either, just because they're so wide open in the front court. It yeah. looks that way at least. That I mean, they could take the gamble that he is something special in terms of upside and take some time for him to figure it out. I thought I was done with the negativity, but there was one name, <laughs> one name that was for some reason. That should be our. That should be our uh, tagline. <laughs> I thought I was done with the negativity, but. Ton Maker. Oh yeah. How I don't know how we were forgetting Ton Maker. Um, Tom Maker also worked out for the Bucks very recently. I'm trying to think, there was no, a couple of good players he was in with as well. Um, struggling to remember who he who he was in with, but some good prospects. He was in the same workout as Bryce Johnson and Shinano Onuwaku. With with him, I just. I honestly don't know where to start. There's a growing movement, I think, of people who feel like that would be a good pick to make a 10, or they like what he brings to the table. Seemingly, his workouts have been impressive. Good for him. Um, <laughs> I, mean, I don't have much to add to that. I mean, everything, I don't understand the decision process. I don't know why... We said this before, there's just something sort of suspicious about not wanting to go to college, show what you can do for one year, just one year, and then going as the first overall pick if you are as good as you suppose they are. Going as a top five pick. Why sort of circumnavigate the rules in a very unusual manner to get to a point where you're entering the draft with no guarantee even that you go in the first round. Why do that? So that to begin with that just makes me uneasy. I don't see why he decided to forego college for one year. Obviously the financial side of it factors into things. But the problem there is if he's making decisions based on money it's better to spend another year and be a first-round pick because if you're a second-round pick, you're not going to be making that much anyway. So, if it's a and you can still go to college to make money, even though <laughs> that is that is very true. So, I can't make any sense of it until I see him shoot in the NBA until I see him handle the ball in the NBA. I can't believe any of it. How based off of playing for Orangeville Prep in Canada can we say this guy is legitimately a seven-footer who can do everything? I mean, you've got to treat him as if he's a power forward or a center, and in that sense, he is going to get bullied around because he's so thin and he has a lot to work on in terms of footwork and just sort of effort for rebounds just fundamental big man traits because it's well and good to say everything else about him but at what level have we seen him do that with maker he is 
at the moment he's 18th on ESPN's mock draft. For Draft Express, he had made it into the first round, I want to say. He was at least very early in the second round. In like the 20s, maybe? Now he's down to 36. A 10 overall, it would be an insane pick. I might lose my mind. Do, do you know, actually, I, I think that's that would be the... I, I'm aware how much a lot of people would love it because they feel there's all this potential. He could be an absolute superstar, and I get that. That one for me would scare me more than anything, more than Murray. I think yeah. I'd str- struggle to make sense of that selection. Because even if he does all the things that you want to believe he can do, you have Giannis, so what's the point of it? Yeah. And he, Giannis has been a comparison for him, obviously, for being kind of, you know, going against younger talent. You know, the circumstances are somewhat similar. Big I mean, difference in Giannis was, Giannis was a pro, though. It, well, that's what I'm saying. There's the biggest difference to me is that Giannis. There was something you could see down the line. There was something with Maker, but I just don't think it's superstar potential. I don't think it's star potential at all. I think he's, if anything, he could be a solid big man or whatever he ever be, end up becoming. But it's just, I don't know, there's so many worrisome signs. And it's not even just a basketball perspective. It's just the fact that he's even entering the NBA, like you said, like it just, it, it seems, Something I don't know. Something just doesn't add up. What does he have to hide? I mean, if we were presenting this podcast in video format, Jordan just looked straight down the barrel of the camera. I've never <laughs> seen him wearing before. a trench coat. He was, I'm a little intimidated right now. Yeah. Let's move on from the first round before. Actually, no, no, we'll move on. We'll do, we'll do all the picks at the end. Dramatic reveal. No, you know what? Let's do them now. <laughs> I don't, I don't want to go through too many second rounders, so let's do the first rounders. With the 10th pick of the NBA draft, Jordan Tresky selects. This is where the drum roll would come in. Uh, I'm going with Deontay Davis. I go with Wade, Wade Baldwin. I'd be happy with that too. That's the thing. Okay, so then we'll just settle on Wade Baldwin. We'll forget Jordan ever said the <laughs> other day. Um, yeah, we've we've gone into detail on both of those guys. Make up your own minds. I'm sure you all have your own opinions at this point already. Um, but for the record, when Thursday night rolls around, just remember... Jordan says Deontay Davis. 
I got Wade Baldwin. And, I, and to be clear, I don't think either of us are predicting what the Bucks will do because that's like. Let's try to. Let's try to find a pot of gold at the end of a rainbow. Or try to find a T-shaped tree. We could have just said a needle in a haystack and no. Okay. Too easy. <laughs> Too easy. That's what we do. Moving on. The books have two second round picks. Let's assume for this exercise that they use both of them, which is no given. Who do you pick at 36 and 38? It doesn't have to be specifically at one spot or the other. They're as close to back-to-back picks as you can have without them being back-to-back. So let's just say, who are your two books, second-round selections? Number one, uh, and it's fairly not close in my eyes, Paul Zipser of... Bayern Munich fame. And your second? Uh, this one's a little tough. Uh, I would... Don't, don't qualify it. You don't need to qualify it. Give us the name and then we'll... We'll, well that's my middle name. We'll get, into, we'll get into the fighting part of it afterwards. After much deliberation... I'm going to go with Giorgios Papianis. I will, to the surprise of absolutely no one, select Chinani Wanawaku. Uh, he was a recent, recent books workout attendee as well. And I will pair him up with another recent workout attendee and that is one Gershon Yabusele let's briefly talk about those four guys start us off Jordan let's go through your two picks uh, I'll start off with uh, Zipser um, you're picking you're picking two internationals by the way so are you thinking one if not two players getting stashed or I would say one for sure Papianis is probably definitely going to be stashed yes um, and to keep in with the international theme I mean we have to point out Jason Kidd, Pitbull you decide because um, his name is Mr. International or Worldwide I forget anyway with Zipser uh, I'm very high on him I think he's if he's at 36, I'd be shocked, to be honest, because I think he is worthy of a late first, early second, even though the Bucks are technically early second. Um, I, there's just a lot to like about him. Uh, I think versatility, he, the fact that he could play – he's definitely a three, but I think he could play as a four. Uh, and, uh, the you know, Counts as both ends of the floor. He's really good defensively. He's actually, you know, could be a good blocker who, see, you know, who, if that ends up happening or developing, who knows. Uh, but I think he shows 
some signs that he could be a really good blocker at his size. Um, and even though it's not as sure or a, the biggest strength of his, I think he's going to be a very, uh, very good shooter, especially for three-point range. Bucks need three-point shooters. Um, and if you read anything about him, especially from you know Draft Express, uh, I know Sam Fasini of CBS Sports, .com is particularly high on him as well. He just fits a very role-playing type guy. He has, you know, great role-playing potential, I guess. Um, and the Bucks just need a forward. They don't, as much as we hope the, for the best with J.O.B. or Inglis, I think he can very easily clips them uh, in not too long if they were to, you know, select him. Um, so I definitely go with Zipster. As Papianis, uh, this one's kind of a grower for me. Um, I think the biggest key for him is drafted stash. He's 18. Uh, you know, he he shows a lot of solid. I would say he's kind of uh, maybe a bigger version of Miles Plumley. That's fair to say. Somewhere around, I think the he, there's concerns over Papianus conditioning. Yeah, I don't, I don't. I don't think you really get with Plumley. Plumley's pretty in shape for sort of a big guy. Yeah, but yeah. Um, I suppose there, there are some. I do see the comparison you're making there. Um, and again, he's 18. A lot of potential with him, but he, he's, I feel like if he, you know, everything goes right for him, he would be a solid backup big guy, you know, plays 20 minutes, maybe even a little bit more, you know, if he goes or projects to be better, you know, uh, whatever like that. Um, I, I think the biggest opportunity with, or the biggest key with him is just draft the stash. He's still so young. Bucks don't really need, you know, all their draft picks, and they can keep an eye on him. Uh, maybe even bring him over when they wrap up with their D League. Who knows? Or we're finished with the D League team. Um, I think that's what makes him an attractive pick at 38 or 36 in my eyes. Uh, and the fact that he is, to be honest, there is some probable. Hopeful chemistry, maybe that's read to it, but I think if you don't want to use all your picks and you think there's enough to like about in a prospect and you hope he could become something in the future, I think Papayanis would be a solid pick with either of their second round selections. Adam? Uh, I don't feel like I have to do on a walk in too much detail because I've done this every week since February um, excellent defender both at the rim and moving out to cover smaller quicker guys surprisingly good athlete both ends of the floor that will pay dividends crazily creative passer really an ideal 
inside finisher, rim running, big, who can give the books everything they need on both ends. In this ideal draft scenario that I'm running with here, uh, Wade Baldwin and Onowaku tick the boxes of what everyone feels the book should be looking for about point guard and center anyway, whether either of them or both of them could ever develop to a point where realistically they could fill those roles as starters is another question. But in theory, don't forget the hashtag, they tick all of those boxes. Gershon Yebisele, the best way I think I can describe him, I mentioned him as this after his workout and a piece I wrote. To me, he feels like the perfect mixture between old and new, a power forward. He is only 6'8", which is a little on the small side for power forward, but he weighs 270 pounds. So he is not going to get pushed around at all. He's going to be doing the pushing. Um, he has that sort of physical presence that will allow him to be effective on both ends of the floor playing at the four. And then he's also an above 40% three-point shooter. I like what I see quite a lot here. I just think he could be more versatile than he even looks at present. He's very raw. He has been playing in the top tier in France, which is important. We don't need any more of those second tier French guys. Um, <laughs> Please, I, someone take that comment out of context. Uh, as in when they draft Isaiah Cordinier. Who I quite like, to be fair, but I'd just be wary of the sequel. Um, and I'm not just talking about Gary Payton, too. <laughs> yeah, I like I like Abyssal. I think he'd be a good pick. If he comes over now, he would be an upgrade in Johnny O'Brien straight away. If he doesn't stash him, and whether it's a year, whether it's two years from now, you might just have the most pleasant surprise possible when you need it most, which is at the point the team's ready to really contend, you could just have this guy set to come over on a rookie deal and everything is great. So, big fan of his. Um, just to mention a couple of guys who we haven't sort of selected there, but that could be in the mix without going into detail. I like Malcolm Brogdon a lot from University of Virginia. He is one of the oldest prospects in the draft, but he's just a super sort of capable, competent combo guard who could earn a big role at present in the books rotation next year, straight off the bat in the second round. What immediate improvements this guy is, one of the better defenders in college basketball he can shoot the ball he can create a little bit i would be very very happy i'm not sure the books do like a little bit of upside in there and i'm not sure he has any really so i don't think they'll pick him um i want to say they interviewed him at the combine but 
having interviewed him and then not seeing him for a workout, maybe that's a little unusual. Then again, he did participate in all the scrimmages and everything, so maybe they felt they saw enough then, if they went that route. I don't think they will, but excellent player who could make an impact with the books straight away. Um, quite like Patrick McCaw he gets there as well. Friend of one Rashad Vaughn. Maybe that could help Vaughn. If I'm honest, I think it might be more likely that McCall would come in and take Vaughn's job. I think the sensible decision McCall made was staying that extra year. Um, but another nice, well-rounded prospect. A lot of potential. Petter Cornelli. Now on some boards, he's been a, a bit of a faller recently, which surprised me. I, I'm actually not sure if he's been doing much or any workouts. I want to say it was uh, because of EuroCamp. He didn't have the best showing. Um, he, he still looks really, really interesting. Uh, yeah. I want to say I read somewhere, maybe it was in um, Jonathan Gavoni's piece for the vertical, um, not not the Draft Express profile, but the one for the vertical, which just it's, can be confusing at times. But um, a lot of the international prospects, he does profiles on the vertical as well now. I feel like he noted how smart and how sort of personable Connolly was in his conversations with him. Um, and he just does. He comes across that way, and comes across that way. If you're watching footage of him play, if you're listening to him speak, really sort of high IQ guy. Seems pretty high character as well. Good, good player. I think he will be an NBA player for many years to come. So it would be hard to be upset about that one. Tyler Ulysses is falling not too far away now in a lot of boards. Seemingly very serious concerns over his hips, just the cause for that. Um, but I mean, if they don't take a point guard elsewhere and he was there, what's the risk? Mm -hmm. And the last guy I saw mention a second round capacity is Tom Maker again because. If they really like him and he's there at 38, go ahead and take him. At that point, there's no risk. I feel like Jordan still doesn't want him at 38. I I don't necessarily want him at 38. He wouldn't be my choice. But if he's there and they decide to do it, I would not be angry. Just don't do it at 10. Please, 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 books, don't do it at 10. You say there's no risk, yet his favorite board game is risk. That wraps up our draft section of the podcast. The next time we discuss draft on winning six, it'll all be out in the open. We'll be reacting to whatever horrors have gone on that night. <laughs> Generally, I, I think big things are going to happen. That's 
I, I feel like we're in for quite a few days here. I I really have... Uh, there are certain times where I sort of clear my schedule a little bit. And I say, okay, I need to make time. I need to be sure that I'm sort of available for the site. The draft would generally be one of those times anyway. But I've sort of made an extra effort this year because I think things are going to go down. And I think things that we don't expect are going to go down. So I'm not quite sure what it is. I just have a feeling. And to tie it back to Pitbull, I'm yelling Timber. So let's talk of one of those things that could go down this week. Mike Scotto of Sheridan Hoops and the Associated Press tweeted early on Monday that the books are shopping Greg Monroe quite aggressively by the sounds of it. Um, they're eager to move on. This is not the first time we've heard it, but then it's a while since we'd heard it. And I don't know, I'd sort of... I'd moved on in a way. I wasn't thinking much about it. Just wasn't sure if it was something they were going to do, if they're just going to see this year and decide what happens. First of all, what's your reaction to us being back in this world of Greg Monroe potentially being traded? Uh, it felt inevitable. Um, as Not just the drafts, uh, coming up, but just this kind of unpredictability with the free with free agency. I mean, we're only what ten days away from free agency starting. As crazy as that sounds, um, so it just felt inevitable. I mean, you know, the trade deadline rumors that it, there was you know some scuttlebutt, and then it uh, grew into a so a full fledged scuttle but I could that was not good um yeah I, I'm just I don't know I'm not surprised I think it just kind of makes sense the most interesting thing for me in the resurfacing of this we have had these ongoing and at times fiery debates as a staff on what Monroe's value was, what the market for Greg Monroe would be like if the books were looking to move. And from basically the very beginning of these discussions, I've been adamant, look, there's no market. Who's going to want them? I mean, with that contract, it's not that appealing. It's what, what team is going to give up something real for a guy who has struggled badly in the last 12 months and is likely going to opt out at the end of next season. It's a rental. I'm not sure what team is looking for a rental in the Greg Monroe mold. And what struck me since the news came back up is obviously, much like we do with other players, there's lots of blogs and websites, and they're sort of talking about Greg Monroe, and the books are looking to trade Greg Monroe, and... 
what teams are potential landing spots and all this stuff. And it's fascinating me to go and read some pieces on what other teams think he is and what they feel like they need to give up and things like this. And I sort of, I read some of them and I've been pleasantly surprised and started to think, wow, I hope this isn't just how fans who don't follow the books are seeing things. I hope there are front offices who feel this same way, because if so, the books should absolutely be looking to trade Greg Monroe. Um, to give uh, a couple of examples, um, Swarm and Sting, the fan site at Hornets site, um, did a really great job of covering the Hornets. They did a nice piece on Monroe and their team that I've been adamant throughout. I, I feel like they're the, maybe the most obvious landing spot in terms of fit because they have the big man in the league who is probably closest in style to Greg Monroe and Al Jefferson, and he's about to leave. So they've managed to make Al Jefferson work. If anyone's going to be confident they could figure out Greg Monroe, it's Charlotte. So Jerry Stevens, the editor there, he wrote the piece, say, should they trade for Greg Monroe? And overall, he comes out with a lot of positives. To be honest, it gave me a flashback to where we were at one year ago and um, where you see all the good things of Monroe and you, you see what he can be. And he talks about he could help push the Hornets over the edge. And it really is. It's like this feeling of deja vu. It's We've been there, unfortunately, but let's not put anyone else off from being there present. But suggestions then for a deal, um, Jerry says, Cody Zeller, Spencer Hawes, and Jeremy Lamb are all potential pieces that would likely be included in a deal as well as a future first-round pick. Obviously not necessarily all of those at once, but I can see Jordan grinning from here. Um, I mean, if the Bucks get a future first-round pick and a role player, That's pretty good. Yeah. That's better than I, I ever thought was possible. But even more so now, when we're at this point, I wouldn't have thought that was in play. And that's not sort of an isolated piece either. Just literally, as we're recording, I, I've seen on fansided.com, fansided main site, they put up a piece, five trade destinations for Greg Monroe. Um, First one being the Heat, obviously Hassan Whiteside, a free agent, if he was to go elsewhere. Um, suggestion of perhaps the Heat would have to part ways with either Winslow or Richardson and the future first-round pick. I think Winslow is probably out of play, but I would take Richardson in the future first. Yes. I just like let's do it. That's uh, that's a good sort of wing that you would have been looking for in the summer, except you've got him on a cheap contract and future first round pick. Let's do it. Um, also suggests the Hawks, um, which on one hand makes me sick to my stomach, um, makes me question what I've done to deserve this, on. Um, the other suggests, you know, Jeff Teague interest. The Hawks want to move him. Um, Tiago Splitter is mentioned, which is someone I hadn't thought of. Had a horrible year with injuries, and he's expiring next summer. But 
sort of intriguing all the same for it to make salary work. Like that just feels like feels like a sort of substantial return again. It'd be very substantial even with short contracts. Um, the Blazers are mentioned. Trickier with them, a lot of experience this summer, but we've been over that one before. There'd be options. Rockets are mentioned. Um, with Clint Capella and Donatus Matiunas being mentioned. I mean, Matiunas, the health side of things is maybe a little concerning after he didn't pass that medical for the Pistons trade to go through. But I mean, Clint Capella is pretty promising young big man if the Rockets want to give Clint Capella up well let's get talking um, and then the Pelicans being the last option they look at which is obvious for Monroe's ties to the state of Louisiana but then the option of Omar Sheik, Drew Holiday or Tyreek Evans being suggestions here is not so appealing still these are these are value packages. People seem to be placing greater value on Monroe than I thought. Now, whether that's just websites, blogs, general NBA fans who haven't quite realized what it's been like for the books, I don't know. But as we prepare for this whole merry-go-round of rumors again, which we're most definitely going to get over the next few days, does that sort of thing... I sort of think fill you with confidence that maybe there is a really good deal out there. Mm. Mm. I I would tend or trend towards more of a solid deal. I wouldn't say like a home run or anything like that. Uh, but then again, if it is a home run. Say if it's like a the Hornets deal that you mentioned. That that to me is a home run. Maybe not the Spencer Hawes division, but I mean, just, if if it was Cody Zeller and a future first, that's like that's perfect. That's, it's really it's daylight robbery on the books part. Yeah, for and, a guy who's gonna be expiring next summer. I think yeah. I think sorry to go across you, but the Heat did as well. Oh yeah, Josh Josh Richardson and a future first, and that's. If somehow Whiteside did sign somewhere else um, pretty soon into free agency, that would seem like something that could happen. Mm-hmm. If you got the certain the uncertainties over Chris Bosch, the Heat don't really put any value on their first rounders. No. And then Josh Richardson was very good, much better than could have been expected last season. At the end of the day, he's a second rounder. I don't think they would think twice if Whiteside walked about that. And for the books, once again, you can't go wrong on that one. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I, I mean, I, I just don't. I, the whole phrase of this, uh, I guess, new resurfacing of the whole Greg Monroe, what happens with him, kind of ordeal it's the fact that the you know aggressive pushing him hard pushing deals hard or whatever that's being throughout there um i don't know if that's i i just don't know if you're gonna great get a you know 
a, not a star in return, but just a guy that's a well-respected, high upside or whatever, well-established type player. You're not going to get a name. Yeah, yeah, exactly. Um, yeah, I, I don't know. But again, this whole thing is kind of, you know, the timing is of this all is not too particularly surprising to me just because draft is in less than 48 hours when everybody's listening to this. And Bridges is only a week and a half away. And if teams swing out, there's only so few big names out there. Teams are going to push for deals that you, that we, you know, have no idea or were, you know, expecting or had or could have imagined. So, uh, I, I guess we'll have to see. And it's interesting you sort of alluded to it there, but something I picked up on from Mike Scott's tweet today was that aspect of them pushing quite hard for a deal. That isn't necessarily good in its own right because you don't get... You don't win deals by going out of your way to trade a guy. You mm-hmm. tell everyone, we really want to trade this guy. You're not going to expect returns that are particularly impressive. And part of me wondered, is that an intentional thing? Maybe they've just decided, maybe they've set their, they've their heart set on a big man on Thursday night and they're saying, this is our new big guy. We've got Henson and we'd like to re-sign Plumlee as well. So we can afford to just move on from that. Let's get some acid and we'll have the cap space open again. And that's worth that's worth as much to us as anything. And that sort of entered my mind. Maybe they've reached that point where it's like, okay, we're looking at let's clear space and be able to work things out now or we're waiting 12 months for him to walk and figuring it out then. So maybe that factors into it. Maybe the books are more prepared to take a lower return now than they were at the deadline. For me, the same thing just stands. Just don't take back any contracts of like, just don't take back weird guys who are earning decent money over a significant period of time and haven't shown themselves to be consistent or reliable in any way. Just no part of that, please. Just no part of sheep. That's... Yeah, it's guys like that. There's lots, basically any pelican um, is a good way to put it. Any pelican who isn't named Anthony Davis. I don't know. Is there a team for you that's standing out as realistic? There's there's nothing for me. I don't think there's anything jumping out yet that's changed in terms of landing spots from since the trade deadline. As realistic, I, yeah, I think kind of the same teams, Hornets, Pelicans, even though I don't like the return in that scenario. Uh, Blazers, of course. Celtics, you have to throw in there, of course. Um, but I I could see just some team out of the blue just wanting to bring him in. I don't know who that would be. I'm trying to think of teams – that would even entertain, you know, bringing them for just a year or whatever. I think I think the Rockets is an interesting one, and um, that I, that I, I hadn't thought of until I saw that. 
bench of it on the, the fan side of peace. Just because Dwight's gone. So they're gonna be doing something at center. They're gonna they're gonna have to figure something out. Now I'm not entirely convinced over what you get back or whatever, but I feel like they'd be one a little bit out of the blue who Daryl Morey certainly wouldn't be afraid to go and pull the trigger on a deal. You wouldn't be afraid, but I just I don't oh, I think that would be terrible. Especially with Dan Tony being there. They're gonna want to go fast. I think Capella I think they see something with Capella. I mean they certainly did after you know this year. Um or even, you know, the final or not finals, but playoffs the year before. I think oh, I just think that would be a trade wreck in terms of style. Ugh. Maybe if you get shooters around him or something like that, but Red Monroe playing in a fast paced <laughs> offensive system just that's um, I, I was I was sort of forgetting that Tony. Yeah. But then I don't know what the Rockets have to play with, so who knows what they'll end up doing and looking like. So it's yeah. a final question. Um it is something I found interesting. I some people have seen. Um I spoke to NBA TV's Rick Hamlet some stage a few days ago last week um, and one of the things I put to him was Greg Monroe and the idea that Bucks fans wanted to move on if not immediately definitely at the end of his contract or that's the way it seemed like it would go and he found it to be strange that that was the way they were looking at it. and to quote him one of the things he said was He's a solid NBA player. A lot of teams would be really happy to have him. And I found that interesting just because we've had this sort of internal debate to hear from someone who has to look at the league in a wider sense, to hear them say that. Maybe there is that market there for him. We'll find out pretty quickly. I think we'll just have to wait and see. But... It's interesting. I I would like personally. I would like to think they trade him on draft night. I've no confidence that that will happen. But I would like to think that they do that. That would to me feel like a really, if they have doubts, if they don't feel like it's the option, a really positive, bold first step for this summer would be to get it out of the way. Let's get it done. Let's clear more cap space so you can look at different options of free agency because i mean hey if you did move him in a deal with a team that had the space to basically absorb his deal and you take very little back in salary or you take salary back that actually fills another need for you say you find a wing or a couple of wings who offer you good depth then someone like Bismarck Biombo could be in play because you freed up the, the Monroe money. I don't necessarily want to pay Bismarck Biombo his next contract, but you know what I'm saying? It opens up things that are a little bit more challenging at present. So if you're going to move on, do it as quick as you can, 
and prepare yourself for the time where you can actually make a difference and make things happen. To me, there'll be lots of suitors probably two weeks into free agency when high profile names have signed elsewhere, but it could be too late for the books. What's the point of making the deal then? What do you get out of it? Is it too late to pick up other guys who you could have got in the meantime? Try to get the deal done early and then all possibilities are open to you. Moving on from Monroe for now. We'll be back. There's plenty more Greg Monroe talk to come in the coming days, weeks, months, if we're really unfortunate years. Um, <laughs> I want to talk briefly about the finals. I want to talk about game seven of the NBA finals. First off, it was a, a thoroughly enjoying game, much more so than I expected. I was sort of preparing myself for a pretty bad game. Um, we haven't had a lot of competitive games throughout the series. And with the high stakes added in, I don't know, to me, maybe it was just me, but I wasn't that optimistic for what we were going to get in terms of a basketball sense. Overall, it was pretty good, though. Something that stood out to me, we both joked about this on Twitter last night. Multiple former books involved in the Cavs setup, both in terms of coaching staff and players. But one guy over the last, I want to say, last month has really stood out to me as important to the Cavs, and that's Richard Jefferson. And I feel like the whole Richard Jefferson thing is sort of relevant to the books, not because... He spent that one season here in 2008-2009 more because of what he was in 2016 and that type of player and the book's need for him. If we look and we credit Jared Dudley for so much of what the books managed to do last year, I feel like Richard Jefferson had that effect in Cleveland. And I'm not talking necessarily about his shooting or defense that Jared Dudley brought. Dudley is a far superior player to what this current iteration of Richard Jefferson is. But what Jefferson did, and it sort of affirmed to me the growing importance of this sort of role or this sort of guy in the NBA now, he came in to a, to a locker room that might have some of the biggest you know, it probably has the biggest egos in the NBA. You've got LeBron. Kyrie definitely has his ego. Kevin Love has been the guy in Minnesota for all these years. Then you have, like, J.R. Smith. You've got personalities like Iman Shumpert. Um, even guys like Mo Williams. There's just a lot of... There's a lot to be managed. And that was one of the biggest problems that the Cavs have had is sort of getting everything to gel. And you have the talk of, oh, this player doesn't get along with Kevin Love. And then the players aren't buying into what the coach is saying, which was the problem with Blatt. And for me, it just sort of felt like 
Jefferson took on this really interesting role. Where I don't know if any of you follow him on Snapchat, but Richard Jefferson's Snapchat has been pretty spectacular of late. He's become a little bit of the Joker, a little bit of sort of... He's the veteran voice who ties everyone together. And I don't think they would have expected him to actually start a game in the finals and to play as big a role on the court as he ultimately did. But the value of a guy who... Okay, he's established. He's got his own things going on. But he's not like a, a big ego personality. Being able to come in and tie everything together, be everyone's friend, and sort of help to unite a locker room. That's from the outside how it seems like Richard Jefferson influenced the Cavs. And I suppose I don't have a lot of questions on this, but it just brought to mind for me something the books desperately need. And a big part of what Jared Dudley brought, because you think of the same way where we talked about Dudley, say, as a communicator. Someone who would get the guys talking on defense and whatever. It's those sort of things. These are the types of players that really make a difference. I'm not sure even what that Cavs team looks like without Richard Jefferson. That sounds insane, because obviously the talent is there. No, but seriously, that, that group of players in a 3-1 hole mm-hmm. in the finals, having lost to that team last year, like it would have been very, very difficult to say they would have had the resilience to rally back from that. But there was a very different feel about that team. Even right down the stretch in Game 7, they were the team with the composure. They were the team who you felt like were this sort of singular unit and it just fascinated me i just it's a very strange thing it was one of the greatest games of lebron james career um, as i tweeted last night i think it included the, the greatest play of his career but for me richard jefferson was one of the most fascinating things about game seven about the nba finals because i just think it shows the sort of importance of that guy How is that the type of player that's only needed in that scenario where you're really pushing? Or is what Jared Dudley did, for example, is that evidence that the books need to find a new voice in that sort of in that sort of shape this summer? First off, does any of what I'm saying make sense, or have I just gone on? Which is a very random Richard Jefferson rant. Do you do you see any of that? Do you do you get where I'm coming from with sort of that take on Jefferson and the Cavs? Oh yeah, I definitely do. Um, I don't think it's random at all. As uh, a fan of randomness, uh, <laughs> anyway. um, no, I I think. I think you, we've had two good examples of that this season, of uh, older players, you know, past their prime, uh, you know, more of a bench warmer than anything, not bench warmer, but just <laughs> limited role kind of thing. We've seen, you know, in the last month, Richard Jefferson's impact and with, the, you know, Cavaliers has been 
you know, obviously a lot of finals coverage now in the last 24 hours, you know, even beyond that of, you know, what does the series mean for the Cavs and stuff like that, but just how his impact and even like, you know, the arrival of Chetty Fry, there was a great, you know, I want to say it was Zach Lowe's piece, obviously was very good, but even, you know, Mark Stein's, I think wrote something, even Brian Windhorst wrote something, did a lot of good coverage about it. But, uh, you know, we've seen Richard Jefferson or, you know, older veterans like that, uh, you know, Cavs won, obviously, but the other side of the spectrum, the Timberwolves, they had not just Andre Miller. Yeah, Andre Miller, Kevin Garnett, Tayshaun Prince. I mean, they weren't by any means a contender. They weren't even a playoff team. They were more, you know, towards the bottom. But and obviously they had, you know, unexpected situ- you know, circumstances with you know, Cliff Saunders unfortunately passed away. But they had a good mix of mix of veterans. Uh, around their you know young guys to help them for the future, um, and in fact with you know Jared Dudley there was actually a great article I misremembering from I cannot remember where exact source so I'm oh I'm gonna have to add that on later but he was talking about it was something for the Celtics talking about uh, some radio interview or something like that I think. But he's talking about his role in Milwaukee, and he was talking about how he knew that he wasn't – he was more of a role-playing guy when he came to Milwaukee. But he knew that in order for them to grow out of, you know, their 15-win season and go somewhere beyond, he knew a guy like Giannis had to start because he was the future. And even though Jared Dudley was on the team, he was – there was no guarantee that he was going to be there next year. And obviously he didn't. Um, so he advocated for Giannis to start to, uh, I mean, apparently Jason Kidd, um, and that type of, I mean, Jared Dudley is kind of, unfortunately, more of a anomaly, I would say, uh, in terms of a guy that whose voice, he may not be the best player on the team, but he has such a you know commanding voice in the locker room and stuff like that. Um, but that kind of insight and it is sacrifice. I know that sounds silly to say, but just to be aware of that, and, you know, he knows that maybe it, my role will diminish of this, but if it, it, you know, ends up being a benefit for the team in the long run, that's, you don't see that every or every day from you know, NBA teams. So uh, I think that's going to be key for the Bucks, whether that's, you know, bringing a guy like Jared Dudley back or if they can find a, uh, a new veteran or, you know, pursue them the summer, who knows? I think Garnett, Garnett that you mentioned is a fascinating one because there's, there seems to be like a genuine closeness and affection between him and Carl Anthony Towns. Yeah. That's like, you just can't get it any better than that. It's like the, the biggest legend in the franchise's history, basically. And the guy who really could be the NBA's best player in a not too distant sort of time frame, and you have them learning together. Garnett is—he's unique, maybe in the way he approaches teammates. Um, but if you're on his good side, I mean, doesn't get much better by all accounts. That seems to be the consensus. There's obviously the other side of that coin, but 
like I, that's just idea. I part of me wonders, is there that sort of that legend out there who's sort of really on the last legs of their career? But you know what? They're worth a one-year deal, and they're worth paying them some money because the influence is just worth so much more. And I sort of I struggle to think of guys. There's one person who comes to mind that I'm not actually even sure if they've fully stated whether they're going to play or not next year, and that's Paul Pierce. Like, assigning Paul Pierce the player at this point is not so appealing. No. But I don't think it's unfair to say the books sort of they lack a little bit of mental toughness and maybe they struggle closing out games at times, things like that. A year with like a, a winner of that caliber running the locker room could be so, so important. Mm-hmm. I know, it's just, it's something that got me thinking and it's, it, it doesn't have to be, I mean, I, I think that's the ideal where you can get someone in that sort of, of that stature, of the Garnett stature, so that even when your rookies come in, I mean, everyone knows who he is, instantly commands respect. That's the ideal. But then Jefferson wasn't that guy. But Jefferson had been a very good player. He played with some really great players. Obviously, Jason Kidd, Tim Duncan in San Antonio. Dirk in Dallas. I mean, Jefferson had, has played with the best players of sort of the last generation. He's been on some really good teams. He clearly knows the game really well. And then he just seemed to have the right personality for that group at that sort of place and time. Obviously, as well, former teammate of Tyrone Lewis in Milwaukee. And that might even have been a bigger factor as things progressed and the importance he played and being a starter in Lou's team in game three, I want to say. Um, that love missed. I think it was game three. Yeah. I just find that whole idea very interesting. It's not something we talk about in terms of specifics very often. We talk about the need for leadership and... I, I mean, Dudley is always, Dudley is just sort of the buzzword for us to capture that because he's the closest the books have had to that of late. It will be right up near the top of my priority list this summer, though. If you could yeah. find that sort of guy. It's funny. Um, if Richard Jefferson didn't retire and the Cavs decided they didn't want him, I honestly would have been fine with seeing the books given like a one-year deal. And I understand uh, this whole conversation is difficult because it's being framed with Richard Jefferson's name in it and there's the old history there. But you know what I'm saying in terms of that sort of guy who could be available. And it's funny because... He probably could have got a payday off a few teams. He could have paid probably a little bit of money, including the Cavs. I mean, I think they would have valued him quite a bit now. 
and they'll have their own challenge in replacing that. Who knows if things are the same without that sort of guy keeping the locker room together. It's one thing to have the best players in the league on the floor, but it's another to get everything to mesh together so they're in the right state of mind and everything to go and perform. And he genuinely seems like he had a big part in that. Obviously, we're never fully privy to what goes on. and The dynamic that lives behind locker room doors, but from everything that's at least made its way into the public sphere, it's hard to understate the importance he's had recently. Yeah. And I think to add on to that, I think, you know, when you hear fans or even, you know, I've, I know we've read about this, but like, that's why the, the idea of, you know, bringing back Ray Allen is so appealing because of obviously connections to Milwaukee, but, you know, he has one with Boston's one with Miami. He certainly is not the player that he once was, or even, you know, even he hasn't played in two years now, but he's probably retired. He, he 100% is retired at this yeah. point. Yeah. Um, that's why, you know, I think Richard's, Richard Jefferson is probably the best example in a long while. Maybe I'm wrong here, but of a guy that, you know, he's over his, over the hill, past prime, obviously just retired, but he still has a lasting impact for his team. You know, he didn't put up great numbers. I mean, he would just he served his role both on the court and off the court. Oh, he he put up he put up good numbers considering his age and where he was at with his game. Oh, yeah. like, he outperformed himself, but yeah, I mean, no one. This is fine to talk about today, which as we do it is the night after it all wrapped up. But 20 years from now, no one's going to be talking about the role Richard Jefferson played in the Cavs winning their, their championship. Like, and there is there's something for that. Every, every really good or great team needs unsung heroes. It's not just enough to have the talent front and center. I mean, even like the Warriors and their runs, they had that. It just, maybe some of their guys were slightly higher in quality. Even someone like Iguodala was that guy throughout the whole season, and the the narrative only changed because he ended up being Finals MVP. Mm-hmm. He ended up really kicking on, sort of showing some of his old, more dominant style in the Finals. But that's the guy he was last year for Golden State. It's just something interesting to think about, and I'm with Allen in particular, I've always hated that suggestion, and the only reason I've hated mm-hmm. it is because every time I've heard it come up or it's been put to me by books fans and social media or whatever it's framed in the the books need shooting they should go get ray allen that's ridiculous the guy is so past his prime if he's still 60 percent of the shooter he was well that's great that's a bonus but where that deal would have and if he was still in some sort of game shape might still make sense as if he's not being brought in for basketball reasons. And you know what? Maybe maybe that's part of the logic behind all the Steve Novak stuff. Yeah, I would I would definitely agree with that. I just I'm not sure his personality is maybe big enough in a way that he'll sort of go and 
nearly forcefully empowered himself on the guys in the roster. You know what I mean? Like Dudley does. It's not like he's a big personality in like necessarily an egotistical way, but mm. every player on the roster is going to hear from Jared Dudley about what he thinks of what they're doing, what they should do, how they can get better. I think there's a little bit of that with Jefferson. These, these guys are talkers more than anything else. Yeah. They just they nearly talk so much that eventually some good stuff's gonna come out. And <laughs> I'm not I'm not sure Novak is that guy, but I think that's part of the process in signing him. And from that side it's interesting. Maybe maybe it's not the worst move. I'm just curious, um it, more so when, when free agency opens, I'd be interested to see what they do in that sense. And to be honest, I think it's important, really important now for the books mm-hmm. because they've had this bad season. You need to turn them around. It's very easy to build a roster and you go, the roster looks great, but they, they need someone to really guide them. And if I'm honest, I'm not sure they're going to get that from the coaching staff. So you need you need both. That's the thing is you do need both because there's there's obviously there's lines where when things go badly and you have the coach on your case from one side, the players do, and this is why like players only meetings are a thing because there's a line where like the coaches can't cross and it's it's up to the players to figure it out for themselves. So you do need both. Mm-hmm. I just be inclined to think the books might need as much help as they can get from the playing side of things. Yeah. I mean, it's it's not that kid isn't kid is a very forceful and active voice. You've heard this even probably the best example of it is from Dudley from when he's been on the low post and talked about kid in the past, because I guess that's the most sort of insight into kid behind the curtain that we've, we've gotten. He's, he's definitely not a guy who's going to sort of, just merge into the background. He makes his opinions heard and felt, and that's part of the battle, but you need the other side of it too. And I'm not sure just if that balance seems to be perfect. MCW and Greg Monroe benchings would lead to questions in that department of, you know, that whole managing thing. And even that's a part of it too. And that's where for kid, and we've made fun so often of former teammates, but like with Novak, if he, once again, if he felt Novak was this guy, or if he, if he knows someone else who's still in the league and can still play a little bit and come in on a cheap deal in a locker room, he must've seen guys who are like, they're really good at talking to players, lifting the spirit, whatever it is, because if kid wants to be bad cop, you need a good cop too. Mm-hmm. If there's a player he's really close to, sort of nearly player slash assistant coach is where they're at in the role because they're at an advanced stage of their career, that's not the worst thing. I just don't think the books have nailed that down yet. Funnily enough, probably the closest kid has got to finding that type of guy. I'd say it's Kenya Martin. And when you think Kenya Martin was signed to the deal for the end of that season as well, and ultimately he just got cut because they needed the roster spot to take in both Plumley and Ennis and MCW from the Brandon Nitrate. But 
looking for guys that like fit that profile at the time kenya martin was 100 percent that guy mm -hmm. so it's sort of an interesting footnote or maybe even know what could have been and that's insane kenya martin would have probably have given very little on the court but i'm not sure if any team learned more in the last 12 months that what you get off the court from locker room guys is so important too. I'm not sure any team realizes that more so now than the books do. Or the Rockets. Maybe the Rockets. Maybe the Rockets, but I don't know. I think I think Dudley and Zaza's loss, we've talked about it so many times, but in terms of leadership and just tying things together, colossal. Mm -hmm. So that's a little little bit of a random diversion i've had there but yeah richard jefferson just made me think a little bit strange strange scenario mailbag time first one comes from at metastic less necessary jason kidd's extension or Harrison Barnes' incoming max contract? Ah, Harry, Harry B. No, Jason Kidd's extension is less necessary. I, I, I think Harrison Barnes' max contract might be a worse decision, but Harrison Barnes has at times shown some evidence over the last two years. I mean, he's flamed out pretty badly in the playoffs this year, but otherwise, for to take a two-year picture of it, I mean, there's a reason why he's going to get a max. It's because he played at a very high level and has obviously been lucky enough to time it with this particular free agency. I mean, he's part of the greatest team, a starter on the greatest team in, in NBA history. Still young enough to grow and develop. So I think his was more necessary. Right now isn't the best moment for it. But he'd earned it more than Kid had. It's close. I'm not so sure. Next one, once again from Metastic. Does LeBron winning make Space Jam 2 more likely? Hashtag Space Jam is always relevant. I, I had this out with Matt on Twitter earlier. The, the more likely is not necessary. It's official. I mean, it's there's a director attached and everything. Um, I, know, I know LeBron hasn't officially um, announced it, but that's sort of because he was busy and I doubt they can announce he's in it without him having an opportunity maybe to do some PR stuff and everything too. So I don't think it's more likely. I think it's as likely as it has been recently, which is it's happening. It would be good timing though. I'd say if they could have had it ready, if it was, they had started a year ago filmed last summer and it was ready to come out now this would be good timing for lebron space jam but i'm not sure it'll be bad timing either excited 
Next one from at Alex underscore Koenig 023. Do you think Jackie Moon would trade a washing machine for Greg Monroe? Would the books take that deal? What kind of washing machine are we talking about? Is it one of those? Is it just a straight up washing machine or is it a combo where the washing machine is um like a like a washer dryer combo or yeah where you know what i'm talking about where it's like it fills up it goes washer seat at the bottom then the dryer's on top you just grab your clothes for the washing machine put it up top boom there you go i i sold washing machines for quite a period of time Oh, so I know a thing or two about washing machines, but saying that you guys have some very different washing machines than we have. Well, that's just a variation. Oh, I know, I know, but there are uh, like you have lots of like uh, top load washing machines, right? Yeah, yeah, we don't have any of that. Do you have that just old spin cycle one? Yeah, they'd all be drums. Generally pretty big drums now, but like no top load. So I don't, um, I don't know. What's, where is the deal breaker and what type of washing machine it is for you? Well, I mean, <laughs> you want convenience and, uh, uh, you know, name brand. You know, uh, I think brand brand's important. Brand's yeah. important there. I don't want to, I don't want to, um, you know, uh, uh, I can't think of one. A Westingmore house or whatever. West. No idea what that is. So that's, that already has me agreeing with it. Yeah. I mean, does it want to sound like a melee washing machine? Some high quality German engineering. Dyson. Do they make washing machines? No, not yet, but maybe just a prototype. I mean, the Dyson prototype washing machine, that could be worth that could be worth some stuff. The ball. Yeah. Um maybe. Uh, Depends how badly in need of a washing machine the books are. As I've told on the podcast before, I think. Kyle Corver was once traded for a fax machine. Oh, yeah. Yeah. Um, the ultimate problem is that the washing machine cannot play basketball, so. Well, I mean, if we, put, I... If we put it in the paint, <laughs> who's going to tell the difference? I Ironically, I joke. the... The uh, washing machine has a higher standing reach than Greg Monroe. Put its defenders in a spin cycle. Oh, um, oh ne- my lord. The next question from uh, Alex underscore Koenig 023. This one is a nonsense question. Will LeBron bring a title to Milwaukee next? The answer to that one is no. But it got me thinking of something. Who could be Milwaukee's LeBron James? That's what I want to know. We've done this in the past. We've talked about players 
from Milwaukee in state who play for the Bucks. That's a not so glamorous list, and that's what we need to change. That got me thinking. The Bucks have been working out at Wisconsinite recently, multiple Wisconsinites, but in particular, a certain Wisconsinite got an individual workout. And that's Rice Lake's Henry Ellenson. And something I'd noticed about Henry Ellenson is he's obsessed with mentioning Rice Lake as many times as possible in a lot of his interviews. He's obviously very proud of where he comes from. And then I thought, hmm, maybe Rice Lake could be the equivalent of LeBron's Northeast Ohio, Northwest Wisconsin. Just, Joe, I don't think Jordan's in agreement, but just, just imagine the Nike ad when Henry Ellenson delivers the books to championship, where it's like, in Northwest Wisconsin, like I'm trying to think now of this whole premise is falling apart in the base that I can't remember the line that they keep using in these. Is it nothing comes easy? In which might be accurate. I don't know. I'm not familiar enough with the not area. Yeah, well, it's always a good thing to turn to. But yeah, got me thinking. Unfortunately, Henry Ellison isn't likely to be that guy. Um, mm. But will LeBron bring a title to Milwaukee? No. Uh, I would say maybe because who knows if he's going on a road trip and he just has the finals trophy in his car. Maybe maybe they're going to fly somewhere with it. Maybe next season, like on their way to the White House, they fly some weird route where they end up having to make an emergency stop in Milwaukee. Yeah. Okay, so... Yeah, oh, all right, I'll change my mind. Maybe LeBron will bring the title to Milwaukee. Mm -hmm. Okay. Next one from at David Dunn 21. If we're acceptable for players to recycle the great nicknames of the past, i.e. Yanis equals plastic man, Middleton equals microwave, what name would you assign Jabari? And have you guessed Carter Williams' perfect nickname yet? Uh, I suggested to David on Twitter that um, I think Michael Carter Williams could only have Dominique Wilkins' nickname of the human highlight reel. <laughs> Would only seem fitting. <laughs> Jabari. Oh. Jabari. Have He's you got any, a, any MCW suggestions? I was trying to think of the one, because he, it sounded like how I read that question was he has the perfect nickname in mind. Oh, he, he's, he's indicating that he has it. Yeah. And I'm trying I, to. I, I tried that for a while and then I gave up because I couldn't think of it. Um, he did say other, others receiving votes. Um, or the mailman, the iceman. I think these are all for MCW, though. Uh, no, maybe the, the Pink Panther, the Jet, and Doctor J. <laughs> I mean, I quite like for Jabari. 
why can't your Barbie, Doctor J? Yeah, for a recycling. Huh? Um, I I feel it's important at this point to just add we have no need to find Jabari Parker a nickname <laughs> because he has one of those already. Not baseline Barry or any of that other weak stuff. Hashtag major cat. It's been a while. Seasons seasons been away for a little while, so if you're listening. Tweet it out. Show show some love. Hashtag major cat. Do you know what's funny is <laughs> is ran through my mind. I was lucky enough to be at the groundbreaking ceremony, and I was thinking, hey, Jabari's supposed to be there. What if it happened, and I take a picture with him? Do I use Jabari's name or do I use major cat? And I could not decide. It was the ultimate debate in my head that I told no one. And you debated it for so long that you then didn't get the chance to meet Jabari. Also, I did not have a camera. Uh, oh, nice. So there's a home run there. Yeah. yeah. Home run of misfortune. Pass the, the only kind you have, Jordan. <laughs> Thank you. <laughs> Have you got an MCW or Jabari? Uh, Jabari, I just, it's such a, I mean, like you said, we have an established one, Ninja Cat. We don't need it. Uh, we don't need anything more. MCW, I see, I'm so fixated on trying to figure out what that nickname is. I just, I'm drawing a blank. Um, yeah. Hmm. It'll come with me. It's gonna come with me within the week, and I'll tweet it out. I've got one. I've just I've just googled. Um, I've just googled the fifty best nicknames. I've googled best NBA nicknames. I've come up with an Uproxx um, article. It seems like it was a piece for Dime magazine, um, and they have a list of fifty of the best. Do you know what I do you know what Corey Maggetti's nickname is according to this? Corey Maggetti. Former Buck, of course. I, um, I and of course I also have a troubled history of Corey Maggetti who Oh that's right. Unfollowed me on Twitter. I'll never forgive him. Um That was early in the pod's history that you Yeah, that's that was a while back. Um this is, I've I just checked, this is actually his basketball reference nickname as well, so people can verify this. Corey Maggetti's nickname is Bad Porn. <laughs> Which, <laughs> I don't know what to take from, but, I mean, that would just seem like a nickname worthy of being brought back. <laughs> Do you know Mike Dunleavy Jr.'s nickname? Ah, uh, well. This is spectacular. I feel like this is this is a segment we've needed to do for some time because we've done quite a lot of talk about nicknames. Mike Dunleavy Jr.'s nickname is The Natural. What? <laughs> the Natural what? I mean, The Natural Mike Dunleavy Sr.'s son? I mean, it's... 
Yeah, that's a terrible one. These are just honorable mentions, by the way. I haven't actually made the list yet. I'm, st I'm struggling for an MCW one that isn't the human highlight reel. Um, born ready. I think yeah. Lance Stevenson's born ready seems oh, yeah. sort of appropriate for MCW. Jameer Nelson's nickname, according to Dwight Howard, was Crib Midget. <laughs> While we're on this subject, I want to say it might have been the last week's podcast. David asked us for sort of the best NBA style name we could think of. And Jordan and I thought, it was probably actually two or three weeks ago, but we thought about it for a little while and we had no luck. We were frustrated. And then this week it hit me when the books for a second time worked out this local prospect out of green bay carrington love carrington love is an all-time basketball name oh. but what makes it even better carrington love was not alone in having his second workout with the books carrington love was joined by ron baker and I was talking about this with Ty earlier in the week, but Carrington Love and Ron Baker, I mean, they sound like a perfect, like, 80s cop duo. Also, an 80s band, like a, a Hall and Oates, if you will, Love and Baker. Yeah. I, I don't yeah, I, I feel like we're, we're losing out on the magic of one being named Carrington, the other being named Ron. Like, Ron Baker is the plainest name you could ever come up with. And then you've got Carrington Love. It's perfect. You've got no-nonsense, straight down the line, Ron Baker. And you've got Carrington Love, who does things his own way, hit with the ladies. I might, I might need to write to Carrington Love and Ron Baker when they both inevitably end up on the books summer league roster. And he moonlights as a saxophone player. Let's play the saxophone. I, I like it. Yeah. Just I felt the need for the Carrington Love-Ron Baker duo to return to that question from a couple of weeks ago. Moving on, last question from a pencil 2292 Greg Monroe and 10 for draft picks that get us Valentine and Zizic thoughts I'm guessing Celtics picks yeah 16 or, or the mm -hmm. Suns, maybe. I suppose any of those teams, even the Sixers, 24 and 26, could potentially get you Valentine Zilic. Might be a stretch for Valentine, but with his injury, his stock is not too far off there with a lot of major sites at the moment. 
I, I'd say no to that. And I like the bulk of the idea there, but that's part of what we talked about last week, whereas in if they use Monroe to trade down, and the case where we talked about them doing that last week, it was like in if it was the Celtics you want someone like Avery Bradley thrown in. Yeah. If you're, if you're getting rid of ten and Monroe and you're trading down, well you want you want some rotation player. You want a real player who can either be a spot starter or a rotation player as well. You just need something else with that. Yeah. Because I mean, say it would be a good value deal on the book side, but still it's not completely unrealistic or the worst for either party if they did a straight swap with like 16 and 23 for 10. So if that doesn't seem like too unfeasible a deal, throwing Monroe their way as well just makes it way too much. They need something back. Mm -hmm. That is it. Not for this week's win six, because we will be back later in the week, but for our regularly scheduled edition of the win six podcast. As I alluded to earlier, um, for those of you interested in hearing Jordan lose his mind when the books select Deontay Murray, we will be back on Thursday night when all of the draft stuff and anything else the books might do that night in the next few days wraps up we will be recording straight away watch it out on twitter because it will probably be pretty much a mailbag podcast so when the books make their picks if there's guys you don't know about or if you have ideas about certain players you want to throw at us, if there's guys you feel like the book should have gone for, anything like that, watch out for it. We'll be looking for your questions, your suggestions. Uh, we will basically answer your questions on the night and hopefully you get it all out and posted by late that evening. You can have a, an extended draft night with the reaction of us here behind the book paths. So, so grab your popcorn and your favorite cola. It's going to be a fun ride. I can't build it any better than that. Thanks very much for listening. Subscribe to us on iTunes. Follow us on SoundCloud. Add us on Stitcher. Read all of our stuff on site. Particularly the next few days. It's going to be a busy one. And we will be back to whisper into your ears later this week until Thursday thank you Jordan thank you